Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the Big Ten Watchdog News Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Graham Dynas. And I'm Taylor Seymour. Before we jump into the podcast, just want to give a quick plug to our social medias, wherever you're listening uh, to us on, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. Um, all three of those links are in the description of wherever you're watching, as well as our Twitter Um which we're trying to keep up with all the portal moves that are happening now that it's the off season in the big 10. And so there's a lot of that action going on. And then, and then also make sure that you give a follow to our TikTok. All those links are in the link tree in the description. Okay. It's been a week. It's been longer than a week since we've recorded, but it's been a week since the last big 10 game. Well, that's technically not true because Wisconsin lost on, was that Monday or Tuesday? That was two days ago, so Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, but the uh, Michigan State Spartans, we'll talk about them, uh, playing their Sweet 16 game in the Garden against Kansas State. Really a, re- a tremendous game. It was awesome. Um, Marquise Noel put on a show, going breaking the record for assists in a game in the tournament. Um, Kansas State wins 98-93 in overtime. Um, but, yeah, tremendous game. You have Tyson Walker hitting the layup down the stretch to send it to OT. AJ Hogard goes for his career high. Um, there's like Malik Hall played well. The whole Joey Hauser went for 18. It's a typical Michigan State game where everyone does really well and they're shooting the ball well and they play well offensively. Um, but it was K State's game. It was an absolute heartbreaker for Spartan fans all around the world. Um, they looked at times as if they had it, and then they looked at times as if they had slipped out of it, and somehow they ended up. Pulling it out in or pulling it into overtime, um, but I think Kansas State was just. I think Kansas State was truly the better team, like they should have won the game. But for the way Michigan State played, you can't say that, you know, they wouldn't have had a better outcome, the next game and be playing, you know, this Saturday. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, they all everyone on the roster played extremely well. They were down about. I, I don't remember what the exact time mark was, but when Noel went down um, and then they fought their way back to a tie game and then it was neck and neck up until half or until overtime. And the dagger in overtime was the play miscommunication where Noel was telling what play to run and Tang was like, no. And then he just throws the, the lob backdoor to, lob on to the Keontae most Johnson. sexy play I've ever seen in my entire life. It was, I mean, that's what having a good guard does for you in March is you get plays like that that those that wins you games. And not only that, he he put it reverse. I mean, yeah, they they had definitely practiced that openly before, and the balls to call that in that situation is insane. But if it works out, it's really good for you because it gave him all the momentum they needed. So, yeah, and that that was kind of the the dagger in overtime. I thought that K-State, especially Marquise Noel, that was the story of the tournament. And then they just went and got bounced by Florida Atlantic. Yeah, because that was um, that coach's first year, right? Tang's first year yeah. here at Kansas State. I mean, taking them to the Elite Eight there. and um, Florida Atlantic is just, I guess, you could call a team of destiny at this point. But we'll have to see how they do against who they have. Uh, SDSU. SDSU. The Aztecs. Yeah, the, the, the mid-major. West versus the Conference USA. Exactly who uh, That's what we all the NCAA was, was trying to hope for to make the most money. Yeah, we'll talk about the Final Four towards the end of the episode. We've got some Big Ten um, portal madness to talk about first. 
Um, but yeah, I had, I had Kansas State in my lead eight or in my final four. Um, didn't did you also have them in your final four? Uh, I had them elite eight. Okay, it's they seem they have the final. The elite eight is their hump. They they never get over the hump, and I don't think in my lifetime they've been to a final four. They got there, I think, at least twice with Weber, maybe, th- and then once before with Frank Martin. They they had their fair share of chances, and they they just never get there. And um, yeah, continues to be the story for that program. Um, but yeah, we'll see how the final four goes. And with that game happening, the Big Ten's NCAA tournament chances ended. Um, where do you think Michigan State goes from here? We've kind of we'll talk about them a little more in depth. Um, actually, next episode we're going to break down half of the Big Ten teams in the portal. But just like quickly. What do you think the the protocol is for Izzo and Sparty? No, I think they look good here. Um, they're not necessarily – I mean, I don't think that I've seen any news out of them as to who's leaving or who's staying, which is probably a good sign at this point since they've been done for about a week. I thought I'd see somebody hop in or out um, either way. Um, I think if they – they, but I think like Hauser has to leave, right? He's out I think of Hauser's done. I think, yeah, this is. Um, I think they year. have another guy. I can't remember who now that might have to leave. But if if the core stays, I think they're in a great spot. Yeah, Pierre Brooks was a. Uh, he is. He left in the portal, but he wasn't. He's not one of their key major rotational players. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen anyone go, just because of the Hogard Walker Aikens Hall dynamic. You'd think that probably one of them would be gone. Um, but, they, I mean, they play really well together. It's just, you'd imagine, and I, if I had to pick out of that group, it'd probably be either Aikens or Hall. Just because if the, if either one of those guys wanted a bigger role, they would be more than capable of fulfilling it for another team. Um, yeah, I think Aikens probably felt a little disrespected especially early in the season. I don't think he was playing as much as he wanted to, but maybe he's got a promise from Izzo or something. That's And I guess if Hauser's gone, you move Hall to the to the four spot in the starting lineup. So you have your – that could be your five. I'm, I am kind of surprised, though, that we haven't heard anything. Um, but you got to think this is probably the ceiling for this Michigan State group, right? I feel like what this team did this year is – about the best you could expect with the the level of players that they have. That's that's my opinion. What do you what do you think? No, I I would say the same. It's uh it's they they had like well rounded guys, but nothing that could have nothing that blew the doors off anybody. I think if they if they go to the portal, you gotta get a stud and you're you're set in the backcourt, so you don't need a guard. Um you just build through through probably a wing or a, or like a four, someone that is going to get you buckets because you already have Tyson Walker, who's a bucket getter. You have A.J. Hogard, who can who can lead the offense. Um, Malik Hall and, and Aikens are good key pieces. Sissoko is good defensively. But, yeah, if you're trying to win in March, which is always Izzo's main goal, I think you probably need to attack the wing spots because you're pretty much set at guard. Yeah, I mean, I think they have an overabundance of guards even. 
Yeah. And with Hauser leaving, you might need a bigger guy to come in. Yeah. All right. Let's let's get into the uh, the portal. So what we're gonna do, like I mentioned, we've got half of the Big Ten teams that we are going to break down in this episode. Um, next episode, if there are any updates from these teams, we'll be sure to share those. But we're gonna put most of our focus on the other seven teams that we won't talk about in this episode. So we'll kick it off with, uh, I guess, probably the biggest move of the portal season, which is not a, a player. I mean, it's not the basement of the portal, the, for the Big Ten. Um, Shrew's out to Notre Dame, and Mike Rhodes is in at Penn State, headed, coming in from VCU. you have any any thoughts on, on the Mike Rhodes hire? Um, I thought it was pretty obvious that Shrews was leaving, but then there were a couple reports late that said he was coming back. Um, so I'm not at all surprised he left. I like the Mike Rhodes hire. I mean, I think I read he's from Pennsylvania, so that's, you know, a great connection to have for him there and can help him get some homegrown guys, which are always great for the program. Yeah, East Coast, that's going to be huge. Um, I, I – Mike Rhodes is going to get a power five job and Penn state is kind of, I think like the perfect fit. It doesn't knock my socks off just because VCU now as a program is like the expectation now is to get in and to win one game. That's kind of the bar. And I don't know if he's done that. I'm going to look right now. I know that, that he didn't in 2021 when he made it and he didn't this year, obviously. Um, his only other appearance was in 2019 in which they lost in the first round. So I just feel like with VCU, you're in the A-10, which is kind of, aside from the Mountain West now, the premier mid-major conference. You're the prohibitive favorite year in, year out. And I just feel like there hasn't been the level of ex- of success I would expect out of a VCU coach. That being said, he's done a tremendous job with a – it's a small program, um, and they've been very consistent. In his time, and I don't. He's not going to knock. Like I love Shrews. Shrews is my guy. Just what, that his offense is is tremendous. I'm sad that he's leaving, but I'm also very happy he's leaving. Um, but Mike Rhodes, he doesn't scare me from a Big Ten fan perspective. As for players, um, everyone is gone. Everyone is gone. Um, Lundy had the extra year of eligibility. He's foregoing it to enter the draft. You have Evan Mahaffey, who could have stayed. He's in the portal. Everyone else, Pickett, Winner, Funk, um, Miles Dredd, Mikey Hinn, um, all those guys are gone. And so what you're left with is the two freshmen from Shrews, pretty much his only recruiting class, and Kanye Clary and Kevin Jai. Um, and you have to wonder if those guys are going to be on their way out too or if they're going to stick with the program. Because, I mean, they both proved to be difference makers this year. Yeah, I think this was kind of expected. Um, I feel like all the players knew what they did this year was kind of a fluke down the stretch. And they don't see that happening again, and much less with a new coach and new system coming in. And with half the guys not even being able to return, the guys who were left were like, I'm just going to go find a new spot. Um, 
As for the young guys, I think they can stay and be the ones that build a, a program. I don't know if they'll leave. They they easily could, obviously, in this day and age. But I would say they probably stay just for that reason, is they can be the ones to set the next bar of the program. I'm curious to see if they're Penn State guys or if they're Shrews guys. Because, I mean, you could very easily make the case that they could just follow him because he's the guy that recruited them. He was kind of he was their fearless leader. He was great um, as a coach. I feel like if that was going to happen, though, they would have already left already because Shrews has been gone for over a week now. Yeah, they're both. I mean, they are both East Coast guys, kind of. And Jai's from uh, Ohio, kind of. Claire's from Virginia Beach, so. It makes sense that I mean they're local-ish guys. Um, I'm curious to, because Shrews he's going to have to pick up some help because that Notre Dame team this year was not very good, and so yeah, but that doesn't have to come from his team that he had this year. It could come from anywhere across the country. It could, and after watching the style of play that Penn State played this year, there I'm assuming there will be a significant amount of people that would be interested in in playing in that system. Yeah, it's a fun one if if he gets the guys that can work it like he had this year. Absolutely. It's one that can make you into a star like it, it did for Lundy and Pickett. Yeah. And so, assuming that Clary and Jai stay, they're going to need help in the other. They've got their guard for, and they've got their big. They need to continue to target the two, three, and four spots because they don't have any incoming freshmen. From, yeah, what I, from what I can they're tell, they're losing all of their uh, they're losing all their shooting power too. So, I think that's got to be a focus because that's how they got people this year was back inside and when they came to help throw it out and make the shot, and now all of that is gone. So, but I but maybe Rhodes has a different uh, system he wants to run and they'll look for something else. I don't know. I wouldn't be particularly surprised if there are some VCU guys that are wanting to come over. That would not be a shock to me. But again, if they have literally three guys on the roster right now and two of them are suspect to potentially leave you know you're going to need a lot of help and that it could be a rough I mean I'd assume it probably will be a rough year for Penn State next year which it always was going to be when you have this team of all seniors and COVID seniors yeah it was going to be whether true state or not this is not going to be a reflection on Mike Rhodes no no do not there's no need to judge him from week one or from year one, unless if it goes extremely well, which hey. if it goes extremely well for what the hand he was given, then maybe, maybe there's more in the book. Maybe he's the guy. Yeah. All right. Let's move along to um, the big dogs. Let's move to Illinois. Um, as of now, we've got Jaden Epps in the portal. I've heard that he's being looked at back home, closer East coast, Georgetown, NC state, that kind of a range. Um, Colin Hawkins enters draft, um, did maintain eligibility, though, has not hired an agent. Um, and then rest in peace to Brandon Leib's Illinois career, a, a legend of the of the program. Um, he'll find a, a spot at a mid-major that, that will want him, and I hope that he does big things there. Um, let's talk about – first, let's talk about Jaden Epps. Go ahead. Um, I mean, he kind of filled a role that he didn't really know he was going to have to start the year um, just because of circumstances outside of his control. Um, I'm not really sure why he's leaving, I guess, because he's set in the role to be the starter next year. 
So maybe there's something going on in the background we don't know about. I think my hypothesis is regardless if he stays or goes, we were going to go out and get a veteran guard just because down the stretch, whenever we needed another guard, we didn't have one. It was just him. And then he was dealing with the concussion stuff. And so we, I mean, Illinois was ready to give Jay Neps the keys to the offense. He was going to be the, as a sophomore, he was probably going to be one of our, if not the leader on offense. Um, so there are ways in which I'm, I'm very confused about this move, but it's not unexpected is how I describe it. Like I could have predicted it, but I still don't fully understand it. If it was me, I, I don't, I don't see it from my vantage point, but in the current landscape of college basketball, who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, if I knew I was going to be a starter at a Big Ten program, I don't know if I would leave, but maybe he thinks there's better – the grass is greener somewhere else. I don't know. He, he was, I mean, he was one of our five leading scorers this year as a freshman. He was playing 25 minutes a game. Down the stretch, he was struggling to shoot from the field, but he was still getting enough minutes to, to where I don't think it was a huge problem. But I don't know. I am hoping that what this means is we're going out and getting a, a point guard that is going to spearhead the offense, kind of well, like. Oh yeah, a, you need that because I don't know if you have one. Now we don't. Have, yeah, we don't have a single guard left. Yeah. We have we have Cincy Harris, who is a two guard and is a strong strong defensively, but offensively doesn't give you much. So, so definitely need help at the guard spot. Uh, Coleman Hawkins to the to the league. I am not. Entirely certain. If I had to guess, he'd probably be like a, a late second round pick. He's definitely the type of guy that could move up through the draft process, though, just because of the athleticism, the the measurables, and then he's a high IQ player. And so I don't see what there would be not to like, but if he's not particularly interested in getting drafted 48th, um, I could see him coming back because he is leaving that option on the table as well. Yeah, the NBA likes to draft uh, guys solely on potential. Um, I mean, Jet is by no means ready for the league, and yet he's leaving. I mean, there's plenty of examples of this. Um, that being said, um, I think if he gets, you know, a, a great workout where he shoots the ball and they're like, oh, we'll take you 12th in the second round or something, I bet he takes it. He just dips. I think I think he's going to be a good NBA player. It's just and he's had 3 years at Illinois and he has grown each year. I would definitely agree with that, but I just I don't know if he his personal preference and I I mean I'm not I don't know what his personal preference is, but from what I can tell about him as a human being, I think he would probably prefer to run it back for year 4. He's kind of unhappy with how it ended rather than Hey, I'm gonna be a two-way contract G leaguer for a couple of years, and then maybe have a shot to make a rotation because Io was drafted around this range. But Io was a—you knew that Io was going to get NBA minutes off the rip, and I don't know. That's almost certainly probably not the case for Coleman. I mean, Coleman can shoot. He can play defense. Obviously, he showed 
late in the season, especially he had to guard the five occasionally when danger was out. I mean, he can do everything. So he has all the tools. Absolutely. It's just, yeah, it's raw and he is 21. So it's an interesting, we'll keep our eye on that and we'll, we'll keep that updated. Terrence Shannon is the other guy that could potentially be heading towards the draft. He has not announced anything yet. Um, I will say I did see him walking around campus yesterday so um he he's not back home he's not working out anywhere else he's still here if that means anything i mean maybe it's just because he hasn't decided what he's doing yet and That's so he's still, very still got to be going to class because if he doesn't go to class he doesn't get the credit but true yeah i'm, I'm curious to see i thought for sure that he'd be a league guy but maybe he Wants a wants another year as well because same thing he's a, he's a competitor. He I, I mean, mean he, he walked at he walked at senior night so I got to think he's gone. Yeah, I mean he did because I was but there for that that is, and I was like Shannon's leaving after one year because I thought surely if he walked they knew he was leaving. I mean, but Joey Hauser walked last year. He didn't go anywhere. So, but that was his actual senior year. This is Terrence's actual senior year. He just has the COVID year next year. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what his what his thought process is. And again, follow us on Twitter. We're going to be updating that. Other guys that we haven't heard from is RJ Melendez and Ty Rogers. You seem to send me the the message every year that your sources are saying that RJ's out. Um, last year they were wrong. This year we're yet to see. I do have some sources that said a domino inside the Illinois program was falling. It was always leave. It was leave the whole time. And the predominant word from the Illinois side was that it was probably RJ without knowing who it was. It was And then leave announced. So I don't know if that was connected or not, if that was who they were talking about. But I did have word. And then a couple hours later, that leave went into the – to the portal. So uh, as for Melendez though, I don't really know what he brings. He's kind of a, I don't know. It's, it's on and off usually. So if he were to leave, then. This is breaking from Coleman Hawkins, Twitter. Um, AJ red will be returning for next year. Oh, so so that's massive. Um, Yeah. Back to, back to RJ. He, he had a down year this year, and I think he'd admit that, but he was showing a lot of positive signs, signs of life towards the end of the end of the season. And he was our only offense in the second half besides Terrence Shannon free throws against Arkansas. So I hope he's back. I definitely hope Ty Rogers is back. I'd imagine he would be. I don't know what his reasoning would be for heading out, but because he seems like he's the guy that is going to be built around in this system. So, yeah. If we're talking about targets for Illinois, it's obviously um, point guard and shooters. I think that's that's pretty apparent. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what caused their downfall this year was not having those type of guys. But then again, I think that's maybe everybody's look. I was going to say. Yeah, Everybody looks for a point guard and shooters, so the, the, the pickings are slim. I've seen a couple mid-major names thrown out. I've seen um, John Tanji. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, if it's Tanji. Uh, Colorado State, he's a shooter. His his efficiency last year was incredible. Um, I'm looking at it right now. Where's it at? 
he shot yeah or no it was this that you shot 39 percent from three this year so that would be a big pickup he's a six foot five kind of like it. he'd probably play the three for us and then jalen cook from tulane is the other name i saw him also associated with minnesota and he would be a point guard he averaged 20 points a game and in the american this year so a couple names to keep your eye on for illinois fans i'm kind of hoping that if there's another name, I know Caleb Love is a name that's being thrown around a lot in the portal. I'm curious to see where that goes. I personally would not be super on board with Caleb Love spearheading the Illinois offense. That just sounds like a horrible idea, but he's probably the most talented player out there. So just a couple names to keep your eye on. I'm going to say this for the first time on this podcast, Taylor. Let's talk about Minnesota. Oh, that's painful on the ears. Um, Minnesota – Worst team in the Big Ten this year, but uh, they had some fun down the stretch. And then they've lost four of their key players to the portal. From from their team that was not good, they're losing four of their seven most important players, including Jamison Battle and Talon Cooper. Cooper has already committed to South Carolina. I'm hearing some battle to – did I hear battle to Michigan? Have you heard that at all? I haven't heard that, but we would not okay. be mad if you wanted to come here. I've heard battle to Indiana, and then I've heard several schools. I think pretty much anyone would be interested in Jamison battle. Yeah, but I, I never take the the intra-conference transfers to heart until I hear about them because that's usually not something people do. Yeah, and I'm not a fan of inter-conference transfer, transfers either. Just from a personal standpoint, that just it kind of rubs me the wrong way. But, again, I feel like Minnesota, as long as it's not Iowa or Wisconsin, I feel like that's that wouldn't be a huge problem. I don't think Jamison Battle is, like, picking fights with guys across the league, and Minnesota has just not posed a threat lately. Yeah, and, I mean, pretty much anywhere inside the Big Ten is not a lateral move for Battle because just of how bad Minnesota was. So, yeah. so they were already bad, and now they're kind of right back where they started. Um, they've picked up uh, Mike Mitchell Jr., point guard from Pepperdine, averaged about 12 points a night in the WCC. Um, seems like kind of an on-brand pickup. I'm I'm kind of scared for Ben Johnson at Minnesota. If he's losing guys like this from a team that was already bad, It's it's scary, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, if I was a guy like Battle and Cooper on a team that won – Three league games? Four was league it games? Three? It wasn't four. Three? It was two or three. Two or three league games? I would uh, be the first one off the ship, too, because I have way more worth than winning two league games. Uh, I don't think that's a reflection on Ben Johnson. I think it's just a reflection on I'm the only guy at a Power 5 program. This is how it's going to go. And I don't want that anymore. Yeah. But, I mean, they were showing signs of life. They're young. And now they're going to have a couple young guys – that should step up to the to a bigger role. Dawson Garcia is kind of stuck there because he transferred in from Carolina. So they they have yeah, Farrell Payne, Joshua Joseph are some some names that I recognize that they'll be interesting. I really hope that Ben Johnson doesn't lose his job over this. But again, if he's not able to get any guys, then you know that's that's on him as well. I don't think they'll so. fire him now. I mean, they would have fired him already. So no, not this another year. year. Yeah, but yeah. next year they're as of now it's not promising that they're going to be any better. So, all right, 
Rutgers is the next team on the docket. Um, another team that um, losing a lot. You've got Caleb McConnell is out of eligibility. Um, I just noticed on on the outline here. I wrote Cliff Paul, the famous twin brother of, of Chris Paul, of Chris Paul from the State Farm commercials. Uh, Cliff Amore and Paul Mulcahy both put their names in the draft portal or in the draft pool. Both are maintaining their eligibility and they're keeping the the lifeline to come back. Um, but Dean Reber and Oscar Palmquist both gone. So a couple key role players for this Rutgers team. I'm kind of surprised that they had this many guys leave because they had success. They faltered for a couple weeks there, which kind of threw them off, but dealing with a couple injuries. But I think on the whole, they're a good team, and I can't see why this many guys are leaving. Especially the program like Rutgers. I feel like Rutgers, maybe even more so than than anyone in the conference, kind of resembles that like this team's like a family. And it's just kind of odd seeing these key role players. I don't like I don't know where else they would go, to be completely honest. Unless if they're yeah, got mid-major lateral or step back moves to to get more buckets. I don't I don't know. Yeah, and I like that at least Cliff and Paul are coming or allowed the option to come back. But I mean losing three of the maybe the best five guys on the team is tough, guaranteed. So they're getting It'll back be a struggle for them next year, I guess. They're building around I'd imagine they'd build around Geo Baker Jr. and Derek Simpson. He he looks the same, plays the same, same number. He just looks like a reincarnated Geo Baker, especially down the stretch. Cam Spencer is back, I believe, for another year. And then Mawat Mag, whenever he comes back from injury, and Andre Hyatt are both coming back. So they still have guys on this team. And I'd imagine they're going to be a team that's going to pull in a couple mid-major transfer guys that are going to become very annoying to play when it comes to, to Big Ten play. I mean, they already are already, you know, so – that's just kind of how they are. Yeah, it's the as a culture, the Pikeel way identity. I love the Rutgers culture. Um, I I was a big fan of Penn State this year. I've said it probably forty thousand times on the show. But Rutgers is another Big Ten team that I've just always really enjoyed watching them play and what they do as a program. Um, and so I'm curious to see. I don't think I definitely don't think Mulcahy is going to get any NBA looks. No, um, I, I was just going to say, I think Cliff has by far the better chance to be in the NBA, and I just, think he probably will be, but I think Paul's back. He's, he doesn't have what it takes. He just wanted to test it out for fun. Purely defensively, Cliff Amore could be a difference maker in the league. Um, but NIL, he might, he's probably going to make more money at Rutgers, so that'll be an interesting, interesting decision um, for him. Is the Rutgers NIL program that good? I have no idea. But Cliff Amore is a really good player, and if McConnell's gone, he's kind of the face of the program. He I suppose already was this year, essentially. Um, so yeah, targets in the portal. Um, looks like they're set at guard. They're going to need to go big if they, if Cliff's gone. They definitely need to get target like the four because you've got Dean Reber and and Paul Quist are gone. Just yeah, shooting and and another big is probably where I'd go. I think a defensive uh, glue guy like they had um, from and McConnell from McConnell this year because he saved them in some of their games. I mean, Rutgers can only shoot so well, so McConnell's turnover forcing on defense 
help them win a couple of their games, especially the big ones. That's going to be a huge hole to fix because this whole Rutgers uh, like re- regeneration of the program, Caleb McConnell has been there the whole time, and he's one of the best defenders, if not the best defender in the country. And so that's just a huge perk to have on your team. And we'll see how the story changes with, with him gone. Let's talk about Michigan, Taylor. Jed Howard to the league. We talked about that earlier. You don't think he's ready. Probably certainly isn't ready defensively. Um, We'll start there. I don't think he's ready, but I'm glad he's gone. Um, It was fun while it lasted, I suppose. But if you look at kind of the way we played in our record when he played versus when he was out with injuries, we played so much better without him. And I think it was kind of a forced relationship because his dad was here. Great player offensively, a large liability on the defensive end. And I think we can find somebody who can play, you know, make up for the defense and play at 80, 90% of his offense. And that'll be just fine for what we need. He's going to be, if I had to guess, he's going to be a tremendous NBA player. I feel like he'll be a great NBA guy. But yeah, just definitely needs to mature on both ends, really. And, but he has enough of a bag. He's a, gifted enough score he's going to to give buckets in the league for sure i think yeah that's a no doubter i mean he he gave buckets in college like it was nothing so when, when there's less defense on him he'll be lighting up the floor what about buffkin i want to know what your thoughts are on kobe is he going anywhere is he staying okay so i don't know what the problem is this year last year the rumor mill was was very loud around town this year it is quiet and i have no idea what he's going to do i have been looking in every nook and cranny and cannot find a a beat on what kobe's going to do but i hope he stays if he stays we've got a couple guards coming in um terrace and uh, uh and hunter can can run the twin towers again and it'll be a fun year if that happens doug will come back we'll be sitting pretty you do if get, he leaves, I'm going to be worried. Do you get Llewellyn for another year? We do if he stays. Yeah, I haven't yeah. heard anything on that either. It's that's interesting. I think, I think, I mean, Kobe Buffkin's definitely an NBA guy. It just does same question that we were asking with TJ and Coleman: Is he going to leave on a sour note of this season, or is he going to say, "Hey, I can be the guy on this team that, hey, we can make a tournament run. We have all the talent." It's just a question of, hey, but the difference with Bufkin is he would be a mid-first-round pick. The other two guys, Terrence Shannon is a late first at best, probably an early second. Coleman is a is a mid-second at best. Yeah, and with the way that the uh, way that the season was going, I was kind of angry that Kobe decided to turn it on and show out because that just brings the eyes of the NBA scouts right on you. But if he leaves, I'll be sad, but... I'll understand why, hoping he comes back. They both set out the NIT games, right? Uh, allegedly because both were hurt. Yeah. Again, Kobe not, played Kobe played the first game. Not to speculate. Sat out the second game. Jet not didn't to play either game. But we were talking about Bryce Sensabaugh kind of in the in a similar fashion, and he has put his name in the draft, but he's also same deal with he can come back as well. I don't know why anyone wouldn't do that. I guess I mean, if you're Brandon Miller, sure, but yeah. it just seems like a, a smart idea. So we'll see again. We'll stay posted on Kobe Bufkin. Uh, I know nothing about Isaiah Barnes. 
Yeah, I need you, you, to, should, I need you to tell because, me about it, Isaiah Barnes. And you shouldn't because he has played way too many minutes, way more minutes than he has ever deserved, and that would be, I think, six total. He is the best. He is like an insane athlete, super quick, can jump super high, can't score, can't play defense. He was recruited out of high school solely because of how athletic he was and has done squat in the two years he's been here. I was begging him to leave last year to free up a scholarship for somebody. Finally, he did it this year. No knock to Isaiah as a person, but as a basketball player, this man did not deserve a scholarship at the University of Michigan. We we need we need better players coming in than that. It sounds like you're knocking him as a person. No, no, I'm sure he's a great <laughs> guy. I never talked to him. Never talked to him. So I can't, you know, knock him on his person uh, on how he is outside of the game, but inside the game, he is uh, rather. What's the word I'm going to use? Atrocious, maybe. Um, yeah. I. Where do you think the fit is there? Is he a mid-major guy? Does he need to like? No, no. To... He'd be great at mid-major. He can get some open okay. shots, and he can beat some guys off the dribble and be just fine. But he can't play at a power five at a power five team. I'm, I'm sorry. Change the valley. Go to leave, and Isaiah Barnes are going to team up. Uh, and they're going to replace Damask and Lance Jones, who are sadly both in the portal for the dogs. Which is such um, a shame. They could both come back. We don't know. Um, you guys added uh, Namari Burnett earlier today um, from Alabama, previously from Texas Tech. He's uh, he's never really lived up to his, his rating coming out of high school, but defensively he's been good. I think that's going to be huge for you guys. If you're replacing Jet Howard – with Namari Burnett, that's a better team fit for sure. Yeah, I would say. And this kind of came as a surprise to me because the word on the street was Jawan wasn't even recruiting right now. He was at home. So, like, just to see this name drop out of nowhere, I did. I haven't done any research on him because it just dropped, was it, what, this morning or last night? Yeah, it was, it was around, I believe, like like 10 a.m. this morning. If, yeah, so. As far as I'm aware. It was – surprising but i mean i'll take him because yeah i think he's a good team fit i don't know i thought some other guys would be better that we brought in and they've been busts but hopefully this guy can change that we'll see he he needs to to work on his shot he's uh he shot 32 percent from three this year which almost doubled his percentage at texas tech um but yeah i think improved three-point shot he's going to be able to guard that'll help um where what else do you think ads in the portal? Also, wait, before we get to that, what was the fake Hunter Dickinson Twitter thing? Was Did it say he was staying or that he was leaving? No, that he was staying. It was the same. Some guy made a, a Twitter a account. A fake Hunter Dickinson account. And he just reposted the same picture that Hunter used last year to say that yeah. he was coming back. And people took it and ran with it. I didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. And I was like, he would come up with something new, I thought, for this year if he was staying or leaving. But he just literally reposted the exact same picture under the name Hunter Dickinson on Twitter, and people lost their mind. So Hunter Dickinson has not agreed to come back. He's not officially said either way what he's doing. If if Hunter Dickinson is in the portal tomorrow, what are your thoughts? Um, I think the spot at big is covered if he leaves. If he hits that's the, hot. That's a that's hits, a hot take. Why is that? Terrace is is fine and has a higher ceiling. And we have we have Greg Glenn, good, oh my, uh, that can play the backup role if he develops over the offseason. 
I mean, he's raw right now and can't really do much, but I mean, he has six months to get there. So, but I mean, I would, I don't, he can't go to the NBA. There's not a spot for him in the league. So it's either he comes back or he goes to the portal. And I think he loves it here too much. He loves Juwan. He wants to be back. So I think he'll stay. Yeah. I don't, he's definitely not an NBA guy. He can't, he doesn't guard particularly well at the big 10 level. And so the NBA is a whole, that's a nightmare comparatively. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think he's going anywhere, but just I was just curious to see, since he hasn't said anything, what your thoughts would be. I'm I'm appalled, though, that you're, that Terrace Reed is a higher ceiling than the – was he a first-team All-American as a freshman, I'm assuming, Hunter Dickinson? Was he? I can't remember. I feel like he definitely was, right? I mean, I say, you guys, his freshman year was his best year. So. It definitely was, yeah. I've, is he, has it gotten progressively worse? Was he better this year than he was last year? Not, I don't think worse is the right word. I think it's just teams have figured out what he does. So he has to work harder to get the Who's, same results. Consensus All-American. Interesting. I'm assuming that was his freshman year. Although his freshman year was, I mean, statistically his worst year. But he also didn't start off the rip, so... So yeah, what else are we adding? Or uh, are we, we need something. What else are you s- adding? We need something at the four. Uh, Cheddar and T will just do not have what it takes to get it done at the four. I think other than that, we really have guys that we. I mean, Kobe at the one, Doug at the two, or vice versa. Um, we've got guys who can play the three. I just don't think Will and I just don't think Terrence Williams and Will Cheddar have what it takes to to get the four spot done. Just because one of them can't score and one of them can't play defense. If you could put them together into one person, that would be fine. But yeah, it's yeah. when when they're separate guys, we, we need somebody who can do both. I feel like what this Michigan team is really lacking is their guy that literally does nothing but run corner to corner. They're Duncan Robinson, Shawnee Brown type. I feel like tra- this team... we tried to get Joey Baker to do that this year. He kind of struggled, but That's if we can get true. him back for if we can get him back for next year, that'd be nice. He's okay. applying for a waiver. Okay. Come back next year. That could be interesting. But yeah, I mean, he, Joey Baker was definitely not Duncan. He Robinson was not Duke Johnny Joey Brown. Baker. Yeah, he was not Duke Joey Baker this year. That's for sure. All right. Um, Indiana is is up next. Um, another team that is losing a lot. You have uh, Race Thompson and Miller Cop. This was both of their fifth years, so they're done. Trace has said he's going to the league. Uh, Hood Shafino is not declared yet, but. That's what everyone's kind of assuming. That's the direction he's going. And then Tamar Bates and Jordan Geronimo are in the portal. So what they have left, they've got Malik Renew coming back for his sophomore year. They've got Trey Galloway, who stepped into the starting point guard role when Xavier Johnson went down. And then you have Xavier Johnson, who needs a a medical hardship waiver to return for his last year. And so if he's able to get that, that's what you've got as well as they've added um, Peyton Starks from Ball State, who I'm not entirely, that name does not ring a bell for me. He is a sophomore. He averages 13 and a half points a game, it looks like. Um, Not a shooter. So, yeah, this team really, I mean, Trey Galloway is an all right shooter, but they're looking at a complete retool, and Mike Woodson is um 
I'm curious to see how he tackles this because he stepped in last year in year one. Um, and he built around Trace Jackson Davis. This year he built a significantly better team than he did last year because you have Hood Shafino and Renew. You have these freshmen. Um, but without Trace Jackson Davis, is this team going to be a bottom feeder in the Big Ten? Or are they going to be able to – is Mike Woodson a good enough fit and coach to where he can – you know, drive this team to be a a mid level team in the Big Ten without a stud. I'm curious because I like Mike Woodson's system, but I think it was very, very Trace Jackson Davis centric, as it should have been. He was the one of the best players in the country. Yeah, I think there's uh, no doubt that what he did before was the right move. But uh, I mean, he's a great coach too. But can he get it done with no? headline named guy exactly i think mike woodson is a is a very high quality coach and i think he will be he's probably one of the four guys in the big 10 that i would say i would equip with a completely blank roster and say this team still has a chance to be a tournament team but again i mean xavier johnson is a good secondary or, or tertiary piece um relic renew could probably fit in that same category if he takes a leap this year. Trey Galloway's a role player. This Peyton Starks is a non-shooter, so maybe you have your your four and your five. I think that they're just going to need a, a score at the wing spot would be kind of the target for this Indiana team, as well as just, you know, loading up with depth and shooters off the bench. Well, it's a good thing that wings – at the guard spot are uh, in high abundance in the portal. And Indiana is an attractive place to be uh, at basketball program wise. So I don't think they'll have a problem with that. If that's what they're, if that's what they're also looking for. Yeah. I'm looking, this is um, a name that I've associated with Jameson battle. Um, that could be a fit in that spot. Um, Caden Shedrick from Virginia is a name I'm hearing to kind of fill out that five spot. Nick Timberlake is the interesting name that I'm seeing. He, I watched him play. Oh, I don't remember who he was playing, if it was Charleston or UNC Wilmington. One of the – in the Colonial Tournament, he was playing – I think it was Charleston. Um, and he had a great game. He's a shooter. He could be a, a pretty solid guy. But, again, he's not going to be your just, you know, elite stud type guy. A name I'd keep my eye on for Indiana would be Caleb Love. That could be a that could be a fit. I know that they have Xavier Johnson, but both of those guys last year were in two kind of ball dominant guard backcourts with Hood Shafino and R.J. Davis, respectively. So I think that could be a, a player that works. And Caleb Love in a Mike Woodson system probably put up twenty two points a night if he's just getting these ISO looks all night long, which is kind of what traced it. Yeah, and I've heard some Twitter rumblings that he's going to be at least has been contacted by Indiana and is looking into it. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up there. That's kind of – I mean, I'm not hoping for that. I'm not a huge fan of um, really in general Caleb Love's game. A lot of chucking. He He's getting his shots up, but – um. Yeah, I just 
very um, inefficient as a, as a scorer. And so he's able whenever, – whenever he's good, he's one of the best scorers in the country. He just has that Russell Westbrook-type tendency to just kind of chuck regardless of how he, he's shooting on the night. And that that can kill a team, and a lot of times that killed this North Carolina team that went from preseason number one to not in the field. Yeah, and uh, that's something he's going to have to overcome no matter where he goes. I mean, because even if he goes to a mid-major, I mean, we saw – um, like an Amani Bates style thing where he went to uh, Eastern Michigan and they still were under 500 with, you know, arguably the best player in mid-major basketball coming in, at least the like highest rated recruit. And definitely they the still rated, sucked. Yeah. And when he chucked, I mean, he had to score 30, 40 a night to even to have a chance for that team. And when he didn't do that, they got blown out. So as a move for him, though, I mean, he I, he improved his stock with that move. But, again, they that was an awful team, one of the 30 worst teams in college basketball. So, But so, it's really yeah. the only team that would take him with, with the circumstances the surrounding him. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I've also heard a lot of Mizzou for Caleb Love. He's a St. Louis guy. So I don't like what, that for Missouri, though, because I think they're on the up as a program, and I think Caleb Love is not the answer that they're looking for. Unless if he is, because he can be. It's just, I, I, it's a, it's a tough situation with Caleb Love. I'm very curious to see where he goes. Maybe he's the guy at St. John's because all these St. John's guys are leaving. Maybe Rick Pitino wants Caleb Love. He can be the the rusticulous ten years later. I don't know if I see it, but that's a that's a possibility. Um. All right, let's finish with Wisconsin. Jordan Davis announced he was entering the portal tonight, just a couple hours ago. I think just about everyone from this Wisconsin team last year is still there. I don't think they have any graduates. I think it's just Jordan Davis is gone. And so a team that underperformed, finished. Um, is There's not a third-place game for the NIT, is there? I don't think so. So they, they lost not. in the semis of the NIT. Um, just a team that really didn't pose a threat in Big Ten play. How do How does this team improve? and the portal as they're returning everyone from this team from last year that didn't do much. Yeah, they didn't do much, but I mean, a year's experience and an, another offseason are always helpful. Uh, I don't know what kind of recruits they have coming in, but I can't imagine that they'll be back to middle to bottom of the pack if they don't get a guy, a, a legit guy in the portal. They've got Gus Yaldon who is a name that I recognize. I think he plays up in like the Quad Cities area. I think he's an Illinois guy. Um, maybe like Moline or something like that. But he's a he's a big seven-foot white guy. Um, that's right that's on right up their alley. Exactly. Frank Kaminsky. He's not going to be Frank Kaminsky. Uh, Ethan Happ, that kind of guy. Um, so they're getting back to their roots. That's fun. You know, another Stephen Crowell is still there. Chucky Hepburn, again, I said this year I was expecting the Chucky Hepburn um, breakout year. That didn't come, but maybe next year is the breakout year. And they've got Connor Asijan, who was on the all-freshman team. So Tyler Wall will be coming back likely, and he's shown potential. He had a down year this past year. So there's a lot of areas in which they could stay the same and improve. But I think if they really want to threaten teams – outside of the Big Ten and in the tournament, 
they're going to have to get more athletic and kind of go off brand to do that. Because last year when they made the tournament, they played a strong game defensively against Iowa State. Um, but like even when they played Colgate, I felt like they weren't they they're just they're physically imposing, but no one is you know scared of them just because they're not they're not any more athletic than your average mid major team. They're better, but not more athletic. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, we saw that in the NIT. They got beat by North North Texas, Texas. after not scoring for nine minutes. So yeah, I mean, if North Texas is beating you, then you know it's kind of a problem and you need to look into it. North Texas, and here's my victory lap. Um, they were in my field down the stretch. They were one of my last four in. And now they're playing right now for the NIT championship. They're up 10 at half. They're up 10 at half on conference rivals, Alabama-Birmingham. So... The metric, you know, I wasn't a, a huge fan of it, of how it was, you know, reacting towards these mid-major teams, but it did a really good job, and we'll talk about that with SDSU and Florida Atlantic. Um, but, yeah, so just athletes for Wisconsin is really what I would what I would target, right? I would say, but that's not really what they – that's not what Greg Gard nor Wisconsin is really known for, so we'll see if they do it or not. Yeah, it's it's interesting because – how long do you need to depend on your formula whenever it it doesn't get you to where you want to be? And you could say that about 86% of Big Ten coaches, right? So we'll see. I think there's going to be a lot of looking in the mirror, as there has been the past several years for the Big Ten. Um, and we'll see if Wisconsin makes any major moves. Um, again, if any of these teams that we just talked about have any key additions or key subtractions in the next week or so we will keep you posted especially on twitter twitter first but then we'll talk about it on the podcast so follow us on twitter all right um we'll cover the other seven teams next week let's let's talk about the final four while we're here we, we haven't done much national stuff at all i don't know if we've done any national aside from our bracket breakdown where we just kind of talked about teams um, but we're down to our final four, starting with uh, the Florida Atlantic Owls out of Conference USA picking on the San Diego State Aztecs for a chance to play in the title game. How do we get here? Uh, we get here because the net rankings stink. Are we They're doing awful. that today? Are we doing it today? We're not doing that today, but that is just the reason that we got here. Because FAU and FD- SDSU are both better than where they got seated, and they got seated there because the NCAA takes their completely arbitrary, some dude in the dark gives each team a random number generator and decides, oh, man, you're a nine seed when you've won 32 games and and so on. When when Gonzaga plays in just as equally a bad conference, wins 30 games, and they're a one seed. Okay, yeah, that's how we got here. I've been I was big on the conference USA, my metric was, and I didn't believe that North Texas was a was a tournament team, but the metric said they were, and maybe they were. Florida Atlantic, I had them as a five seed heading into selection Sunday. That's where I had them. And SDSU was a three. The net rankings have Florida Atlantic as 13, SDSU as 14 before the tournament started. So if anything, maybe the net, but then you have it's it's interesting, but 
those two teams were well represented in the net. But then you have Utah State, who got crushed by Missouri. Um, they were 18. And Nevada, who got hammered in the playing game, they were top 40. So Because are, the net is broken. It seems like the maybe the Mountain West and C I mean not CUSA, but the Mountain West in particular was being overrated by the net just because of South or uh, San Diego State. That's a that's a possibility. So you but think again, one you think one really good team throws off mid major net rankings? If there are teams in the conference that can beat that team, because you saw in the Mountain West, right, Boise State and Nevada and um it was the fourth. Boise, Nevada, and Utah State. Those were all the all four of those teams were very competitive in the Mountain West. But there are SDSU was clearly a step ahead nationally. It's kind of like um I don't know. Like there are cases Michigan in the Big Ten, not this year, but last year, right? They what you finished eleven to nine last year? Yeah. But and you know, barely above five hundred because of Big Ten play, but the style that you play in your conference does not directly translate to how good you are on the national stage in the tournament. And, and that's why I don't get we team. ever and that's why I don't get why we ever went away from at least considering the eye test. Like you can just look at some of these teams and be like, they just are not nationally competitive. And you can look at other teams that are eleven and nine in their conference and be like, oh, these teams are very nationally competitive. Their conference is just so good or everybody like the style within the conference is tough to play, but outside it would work really well. And I, I I just don't get the sole reliance only on numbers. Like there's more to basketball than just the numbers. We, so the way that it works is you use the non-conference schedule from November to December to rank how good these conferences are. And then you have conference play to be like the determinant of where these teams rank within their conference. Well, Obviously, Big Ten play is nothing like tournament play, but that also is there a problem with non-conference play and the tournament? Because year in year out, Big Ten dominates non-conference schedules, and then they get into into March and they don't have a single one of the best sixteen teams, right? And so, it's because the Mountain West was beating teams in the non-conference. It's just you know you look at them and you're like it's just a different style in the tournament. I don't know what it is. And it might have to do with like, I mean, play style, but the inconsistency of the new game in which you're reliant upon the three-pointer so heavily. And then you get into the tournament and the ball is like a bouncy ball. And if it hits the rim, it doesn't go in. And every team is shooting 31% from three at best. That's, I mean, you're seeing, I think that is one of the key reasons why you're seeing these four teams as the four left because all the best teams in the regular season have compiled an aggregate schedule to where they have bad shooting nights and it doesn't affect them. That's why there wasn't a dominant team. But in the March Madness-style tournament, you're one one bad shooting night and you're out. These teams are the ones that were able to either combine enough good shooting nights or didn't depend upon catch-and-shoot corner three looks. And so you have this Purdue team, which is feed the feed the post, kick out, feed the post, kick out. Doesn't work in the tournament whenever you can't shoot. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's 
Yeah, because in the in the course of a season, you can win, you know, five games in a row off your shooting, and then you have one bad night, and it doesn't kill you because you're five and one. But when the tournament comes, it's you have, I mean, it's single elimination, so you have the one bad night in the six games your first night, and you're done. You don't even get to play the rest of the six. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, if if the NCAA tournament was 32 teams and it was five game series, then we'd be seeing a lot less parity in the tournament. But you're seeing the one off like Alabama. Alabama is extremely analytically sound to where they're getting shots at the rim and they're getting open threes. And so against SDSU, the threes aren't falling. SDSU has a good rim protector inside. They aren't able to score. They have a bad night. They're bounced by a good team, but not a team that's better than them. If they played, if they played five times, they're probably winning in in four of them. So it's just the nature of March Madness. It's what makes it fun. But is it better to have, you know, the best teams or to have this fun style? You know, it's a personal. My personal opinion is the fun style because we all know it's set up not to be the best team cutting down the nets on April 2nd. It's the fun of watching the upsets and the Cinderella stories throughout the time and being entertained for an entire month of, of great basketball that you just don't see anywhere else. I don't think that the tournament, it's hard to say. I don't know if it determines the best team because if you're going to average out six games, Alabama might have the five best games in the tournament and then lay a stinker but that sneaker, they're not going to win. And so what the what the tournament does, and I, I respect how it crowns a champion because it takes these teams that, you know, are able to play through a bad game. If your team is consistent enough to play through a bad game or to not have a bad shooting night, you know, into your season, these teams are like the most consistent teams that are left. And I think that that deserves a prize as well. I think that if you're going to crown your champion, you want the team that doesn't have a flaw that can get picked on and doesn't depend on your shooting. Unless if your shooting is just tremendous, like that 2018 Villanova team was great. Yeah. And sometimes it's better to be uh, lucky than good. So uh, some of these teams shoot just well enough to where all the teams that they've played have had their bad shooting night on that night. And they've snuck by now they're in the final four, like FAU, for example. Clearly they weren't better than anyone in their, you know, region, uh, like on on paper or even even if they were to play, yeah, like a, even a three-game series. But they just play defense well enough or the team that they're playing shoots bad enough that they can just sneak by and it makes it so much more exciting because you get, you know, the nine playing the 16, playing the five, playing the, you know, three. the three yeah, to, to, then, to then go play in the final four. And one thing about FAU, too, is that they were they were a couple inches away from not making out of the first round. And you could say the same thing about Miami against Drake. Florida Atlantic almost lost to Memphis. And then who knows where we're at if Memphis is in the Sweet 16 playing Tennessee. It's That's the, the beauty of this tournament. I think the only thing that you could argue would be to reseed after each round, if that would make it more fair. But if you did that, you'd have, it would just be awful for like site managers. 
if they were playing it in Indy, that would be possible. But again, like I, if Fairleigh Dickinson beats Purdue, they've earned the right to play Florida Atlantic. They shouldn't have to then go play Alabama in the next round. Right? Yeah, I would agree. So if you're if you want the best teams to get there, that's just not how it's going to go with the new style of basketball. Um, but I do think that that could be fixed with because there have been a ton of complaints about the ball in, in the past two years, three yeah, years. Yeah, but yeah, there was complaints about it last year and nothing changed. So I don't think the NCAA really is looking into it like they should. But I mean, this year you're seeing, you know, 30% from three on average. I feel like we were having the same conversation though. Teams were shooting horrible. Players are complaining about the grip, complaining about the bounce, and they went right back to it. For whatever. I, I think that that's something that needs to be looked at because there's the big argument with college game versus the pro game. I'm a much bigger fan of the college game just because I feel like it means more to the kids and watching someone like watching perfect basketball is in my opinion, personally less fun than watching imperfect basketball. The, the flaws of college basketball players and teams is what makes it more fun. But you're seeing like, people are like, I can't watch this because no one makes shots. Well, these teams can make shots. They can make 5% more of their threes than what you're seeing on the national stage. And I think that that would, it would just be better for the product. Yeah. Those are just casuals. I think though, those are like casual fans who only watch March madness because they're NBA guys or something like that. If you watch like an an entire season of college basketball, you can't tell me that there are not games mid major power five, you, you name it. I mean, a, a mix, whatever that are, any worse than an NBA game. I mean, you get you get teams who are really good. You play overtime games like you get in the Big Ten occasionally. You get that 110 to 105 game between Iowa and Michigan State that we had was much more fun to watch than a 130 to 140 NBA game, in my opinion, just because it was so out of the norm and crazy. And you get mid-major teams who will play – a 40 to 30 game. And that's cool just on its own because there's so much went wrong that it was an interesting game. You know, it was so hard to watch that it was so easy to watch. And and you just don't get that in the NBA. It's 140 to 130 every night. You know, who's going to score 30, you know, who's going to get 10 blocks, you know, who's going to have three steals and you know, who's going to get a fan kicked out of the, of the next game. It's yeah. I feel like the NBA more so, I mean, I it's, it's reality show ish just like with the players and then the style of the game, it just isn't as interesting whenever you're seeing these teams go five out ISO draw the defense, kick for a three or five out ISO drive to the rim, open layup. Right. Like if that's all you're really seeing, I mean, and that's, that's like more of the, the Houston Rockets, James Harden stuff, but you know, the spacing in the NBA and the shot making, it's just like, why would I watch the game? Why is the game more interesting if my 12th man can go for 30? If if anyone can go for 30, then it's not fun when someone goes for 30, I feel like. Yeah, like like we all – I mean, we had an entire episode that was 30 minutes of spin on Mason Gillis setting a record for hitting nine threes. But, I mean, Curry's hit like 13 threes in a game before. I mean, it's just like something that – Yeah, you've got – yeah, I mean, P.J. Tucker has like – made a career out of being a six foot four center because he shoots one of the highest percentages from the corner in the league. He was out, he was in the league. He was out of the league. And then he came back 
because he can shoot corner threes. And that's all he does. And sometimes he doesn't score at all because they just don't leave him. Like that's not as fun as having a guy that's just like a freak athlete that sits in the corner and on any given night could go for 18 or he could go two for two with one for seven. And that's annoying as a fan of of that player, but for the greater sphere of college basketball, I think it's it's just more entertaining, at least from my perspective. And, and there's I, just, yeah, there's just so much more like I don't know. You have to actually scheme, you have to actually coach, you have to actually like play when you're in college. In the NBA, I feel like it's just I mean, they they run plays and there's coaches on the sidelines, but are they really scheming? I mean, you go to practice, you know, three times a week and you throw up 40 shots, but you don't you don't run anything. You have I mean, you do in the playoffs, I guess, but it just the NBA regular season doesn't feel like it means anything, but for some of these mid-major teams especially, like college basketball is the regular season is what they have, and they're there to go win the regular season title. Exactly. Like every night is important in college basketball, whereas in the regular season for the NBA, right, there are teams that have already clinched and there's a month left in the regular season. And so you're seeing like it's not it's not important for these teams to to have all their guys play every night because there's a guy sitting up that doesn't even play that is capable of replacing their production. Yeah, and and you see none of this tanking stuff that you see in the pros because there's no draft or whatever. Like no reason guys are giving it their all every single night. There's no no sandbagging down the court because you're trying to lose this game and you're up by five with five to go on accident. You know, if you're up with five five to go, I mean, we saw this with Minnesota, right? They were they had nothing to play for, and last year they went and spoiled Wisconsin. This year they went and spoiled Rutgers, and it was like the most enjoyable part of their season. And they had nothing to play for, yeah. But they went and did it anyways. I mean, you don't get that in the NBA. No. I think that, I mean, there's there's a lot there's way more to talk about on this debate, and we might have more off season time to devote to it. Um, but yeah, I think that was that was a really good discussion about NBA versus college, and and. I mean, we we kind of you know we got off on a tangent, but I think there was a lot of extremely you know potent points that were made. I think that was a a well nuanced conversation about that. Back to the game though, Florida Atlantic and San Diego State is likely to not be anything close to an NBA game because that's what SDSU does. They they stop you. Florida Atlantic likes to likes to score though. Again, we're getting a mid major team in the title, um, kind of reminiscent of. Um, 2011 was the Kimba year where UConn won it. Um, and they played – who they play in the semis? I think maybe Kentucky in the semis. I could be wrong. Um, but then the on the other side, it was Butler against VCU. And it was Butler the year after they had won. Um, they went to the championship the year before. And so just not a very entertaining game on the other side. Really, that whole Final Four was, was kind of rough. That was like the the two eight eleven and something like six. It was three. Oh, let's see who won this region. Because VCU it was, was like Kentucky. The 11 it was Kentucky. Year, right? Yeah, so Connecticut was a three because Kimba had carried them to the to the championship of the Big East. They won eleven straight. Um, Kentucky was the four that they beat, and then the other side you had eight seed Butler and then eleven seed VCU. 
So yeah. th- that's kind of what this Final Four is reminding me of. And every single time that the Final Four breaks open for a team that's not a one or a two seed, uh, UConn wins it. So <laughs> it happened in 2011. It happened in 2014. Um, they kind of broke open, and they they were a seven. Yeah, they were a seven. They played Kentucky in the championship as an eight. So I don't know, UConn has a chance to win their fifth title in 25 years, which is absurd. And it's yeah, with especially for three different coaches, three different coaches, completely different schemes, not the same players. It's and it's not like people are comparing it to Duke, but Duke was so consistent when they did it, and UConn is. Like they were out of the tournament for five years and now they're back. Like they just pop in and out here and there. And when they're good, they win a championship. It's absurd. Yeah. And they've kind of got lucky along the way, too, for a lot of these games. I mean, they didn't play anybody extremely tough. They're but, dominant in I this mean, tournament. They've won every game by 20. Yeah. Because their shooting is insane. Somehow they have figured out how to deal with this ball right when nobody else has because they're shooting the lights out. They're shooting them, like 40% or something from three. Yeah. Them and Miami. And Florida Atlantic, for that matter. Those are three teams that they just make shots, right? Miami is like the king of shot making. Like they just make shots. Connecticut's been great. They're the best team in in the tournament thus far. Um, but yeah, Miami has played these games. They were, you know, in danger against Drake. They were in some danger against Indiana. Um, they were never really in danger against Houston. That was their best game. And then they were down by 15 against Texas. They were like, and eh, we're good. And they just came right back. It's these teams are not, they're not jumping off the page at you as a casual fan, but the way they've played in this tournament, they are four of the best teams left. Absolutely. Probably four, four of the top 12 teams in the, in the country. Yeah. And people are saying like, oh, I'm not excited to watch a nine verse whatever FDSU was, was like a five or four or something. And uh, UConn being a four and Miami's the four, right, or five. So, but I think that just makes it more exciting because you get these teams that, I mean, three of these teams have never played in the Final Four before. That should be the most exciting thing that, like, somebody's going to cut – three teams have the chance to cut down the nets for the very first time in their entire, like, ever of their program. Yeah. And and FAU and FDSU both being mid-majors, I mean – when was the last time a mid-major won? A- I was getting ready to give you the factoid. It was UNLV in 1990 was the last yes, time that so a mid-major been, won it. that's been, what, 33 years now? 32 years? Yeah, 33. 32 tournaments. And in between, yeah. It's, I mean, that that's the most exciting thing to me. I mean, seeing kids who were, you know, doubted coming out of high school, had to go to a mid-major because they thought they were good enough but just didn't get the offer – and now they're they're playing for a chance to cut the nets down. I think that's way more exciting than watching a Kansas versus you know North Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, the last year championship game. I'm not entirely I mean, sure. They're about, both exciting for different reasons. Yeah. They're exciting for different reasons, and maybe that's just me being like a true college fanatic and uh-huh. and knowing what what these guys go through. That makes the mid major winning a championship like so exciting to me but like the casual fan will be like oh i don't know i couldn't even tell you where fau was on a map if you showed me Mm -hmm. they might not even know it's in florida because i mean they don't call them florida atlantic to call them fau all the time and i think that's more exciting to me but casuals want to see kansas north carolina so i the point i was going to make was unlv whenever they won it too like they were a 
like a dominant like they were a one seed i think they had lost two games all year which i guess fau's only lost three games but unlv was kind of like they were they were there they were people knew about them both of these teams just kind of snuck here and that's what's interesting to me because neither of them like traditionally when you have these mid majors that are that are solid and get five seeds or nine seeds those are not the teams that you're particularly scared of in March, but here we are with the, with them as being the two left. It's I'm very excited for both of these games for different reasons because, like you said, we're getting a mid major team in the in the title game and a, a very good mid major team at that. And then I think Connecticut Miami has the potential to be the most fun game of the tournament. These are two extremely high powered offenses, a lot of tremendous guards. The shooting is going to be there. Um, but yeah, I think it's breaking like a, like a UConn year. And another point that I, so you've got your potential championship matchups, um, Connecticut knocked out San Diego state in the Kauai year in 2011 on en route to their championship with Kimba. Um, I remember that game because our class, we remember in Tri-C when we used to be represented, but yeah, we were, we were SDSU. Oh, that's tough. So, so yeah, so I revenge for Kawhi. That's an option. You could have the South Florida Bowl. Imagine if we get Miami FAU in, in the title game. Um, SDSU winning winning would be huge for Brian Dutcher. That's a guy that's waited thirty years. That's an old Steve. school Michigan guy, Fab Five. Yeah, guy. that's a Steve Fisher. Steve Fisher, right hand man the whole way. Um, and then he gets the chance to to win the title now he kind of he got that chance ripped from him the covid year that where the tournament got canceled they were bound to be a one or a two seed that year they'd lost two games that team was tremendous um and so they can avenge that this year and then you've got florida atlantic coming out of nowhere we've got four really fun teams what's your prediction who title game and and winner i'm going to take yukon vsdu and I'm going to take the Huskies off just off the dome here, but I wouldn't be mad seeing any of these teams cut down the nets. I can't wait for Saturday and Monday. I'd be a little mad if it was Florida Atlantic and it's not because they don't deserve it. It's just like, they've kind of been like the villains just ever since they knocked out fairly Dickinson and they had their, their windmill 360 dunk at the buzzer. That was in kind of poor taste. They've they've played the role of the villain and they knock out uh Kansas State, who was kind of the story of the tournament. Um but they're they're good. They're a good team. I'm not gonna sit here and say they don't belong here. They absolutely do. They won the games that were in front of them. That's what it takes to win the tournament. So but yeah, SDSU wins it, that'd be sick. UConn, UConn's probably the team I'm rooting for the least, but they're super fun and they're the best team. And then you've got Miami, Laranega's awesome. They have some of the best guards in the country. And then, yeah, Indiana lost to the national champion. That would be a, a better look for our, our conference because none of our other teams, I don't think, lost any of these guys, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't think so. Yeah. I think you're right. So, so yeah, um, I guess I did have some points to make about uh, the Big Ten lack of tournament success. But we can get into that in another episode because we're running a little long. Um, yeah, 
I, I think that our, our talk about the NBA and, and the college game, I think that was well worth the time that we spent on it. I feel like that and our points about the tournament, that little 10, 15 minute tangent, I felt like that. I mean, that's just ball knowledge right there. We are certified ball knowers. We are. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want to add before we, we get our final plugs and then get out of here? Um, sure. The big 10 season might be over. Um, as Michigan State and Wisconsin both lost this past week. But that doesn't mean there's not good basketball left. There's at least there are the other – the NIT is going on right now, but it'll be a little late for when you see this. By the time uh, we post uh, this, yeah, it's But gone. there's uh, three games left in the entire year, so enjoy them. Soak them up. This is the best time of year, and then we got to roll into something else. I guess baseball. Yeah, I guess. Or, I mean, the NBA, maybe. Well, Maybe. after yeah. what I just said, I probably shouldn't watch it. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll I'll pick it up about midway through the, the first round. I'll the, pick it up in June. Yeah. Um, shout out to Iowa, the women, for making the Are final Are moving four. on? All righty. Caitlin Clark is a stud. She's Everyone legit. She this. put up 40, didn't she? I think her Elite Eight win, I think it was a 30-point triple-double. It was a 40-point triple-double. Was it? A, was It It was a 40-point triple-double. Was it? 41, yes. 41, 10 boards, 12 assists, 8 yes. of 14 from three. Best player in the country. Um, also give a shout out to um, what? Maryland, Ohio State, both made the Elite Eight. Did someone else make the Elite Eight? No, it was just three of them. Okay. So, yeah, hopefully Iowa can bring it home. They play South Carolina. Probably got the two best players in the country on the, on the women's side playing. Um, People are saying that's going to be the most watched women's game ever. I kind of doubt that because UConn isn't in it. But um, but I mean, Caitlin Clark is Caitlin she's Clark a national is, story. Yeah, and South Carolina is undefeated, so that should be a, a good game. We'll see if Caitlin Clark can can put the team in her backpack and carry them to the championship game or not. That game's Caitlin- happening uh, tomorrow night. All right, so it'll be the night that we are posting this um, at 8 p.m. on all the ESPN channels. So. Does Caitlin Clark have eligibility left? I feel like she might be a junior. Because she fits into the she fits into the Fran McCaffrey system very well. Oh. She can she can light it up if she ever she wants is, to she, she wants to break some barriers. She can slide over and take. I mean, they, they love to shoot the three and she loves to shoot the three. I don't know why it wouldn't work. Yeah, I mean from West Des Moines, yeah, six foot junior. She she can be a, a nice off the off the ball guard for that team. I mean, legit, like she she could put up, she could average. I feel like twelve points a game in in men's college basketball in the Big Ten. Yeah, she's that she gifted be, of a shooter. Yeah. She might get torched on defense every single play, but I guarantee you, she's you can going, you can pick somebody to strategically have her guard. She's yeah. A, if she if she guards the shooter, if she guards the shooter, she can she can get to the closeout. She might not be good for any help, and then you've got. She's going to give you three threes a game, bare minimum. Yeah, she's legit. Stud. Um, she might so leave yeah. after this year and be the first overall pick. In the I, I, I think that's. I think that's probably what would happen. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are for WNBA draft. I don't know if it's junior. Like if it's three years, I don't know if they have any any restrictions. Um, but yeah, I don't see why she wouldn't be the first pick, unless if um. Um, Paige Bukers goes to the league, but she's been hurt this year, so I don't know. We I know, know about 
We know about women's basketball a little bit. Not much. Everything that I've seen out of her is I don't know if there's anybody better, but yeah. This is the most diverse podcast we've had for sure. We're, we're, we're covering all our bases. We're hitting women's basketball, the NBA, everything. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, let's uh, wrap it up. Once again, shout out to our our YouTube, our Apple, our Spotify. All the links for those will be in the description of wherever you're watching, as well as our Twitter and our TikTok. Make sure you give all those a follow. Give this video a like or a, a, a thumbs up or a five-star rating. I'm not sure how you rate it on some of the podcast platforms. Um, but yeah, subscribe, like add us to your, your folder, follow us on Twitter, follow us on TikTok. I think I'm going to, over the weekend, I'm going to edit a little compilation from our predictions for the tournament and just do like a little where we were right and where we were wrong. I think that would be a good TikTok post. So, so that's an idea I have. Um, I'll definitely post clips of our discussion and, We'll have some of that be on TikTok as well. Um, So, yeah, thank you guys for listening, um, and we'll see you at some point next week. Have a good one.